Hi, I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And welcome to the Just a Story podcast. Vintage Coolness Edition. So these are some of our older episodes that we want to keep up because they have some great information. But we realize that the audio quality is a little... Mm, is crap. Yeah, it's kind of crap. But we hope that they have all the charm of a vintage vinyl album with scratches and character. And we really just don't want to re-record them. <laughs> So, production note, we're leaving these up, but if you're a new listener, the audio quality greatly improves with the episode hooking up and going forward. And I'd also say we uh, know what we're doing a little more. Yeah, but these have a special place in our hearts. We wanted you to have access to them, and we hope that you will pardon the character. That's right. It's character. (laughs) So, thanks for listening, guys, and enjoy. Without further ado, here are our vintage, wonderful episodes. So I was talking to this guy in organic chemistry class when I was in college, and he was telling me about this thing that happened to his brother or his cousin or his frat brother. Oh, this guy's kind of a bro. Anyway, some guy he knew. The cousin was at a bachelor party in Vegas with a bunch of guys. The guy getting married had gone to bed, I passed out, and I guess the others had two, except for the cousin and one friend. He'd been talking to these two girls in a bar all night. Apparently the girls were super hot, and all over them, and neither of them wanted to call it a night, as long as they were getting attention. Eventually the cousin realizes the bar's about to close, and he gets to feeling guilty. So he's a girlfriend, and he doesn't want to cross that line with a girl from a bar he'll never see again, even if it is Vegas. So he pays his tab, tells the buddy he can thank him later, and leaves the guy alone in the bar with both of these hot girls. The next morning, he wakes up, and the guy is not back in his room. He doesn't worry too much, just figures this guy had had probably the time of his life. And so they pack up, get ready to go. It's time for them to leave for the airport. He's still not shown up. None of the guys have seen him. They ask the hotel... The casino attached to the hotel. No one has seen them. He doesn't have the girl's number or remember where they were staying. He gets really mad because he misses his flight to stay to look for this guy. Finally, a day later, he goes to the police. who check around in hospitals and find the guy in an ICU. He told the cousin he went back to the girl's hotel room. Things were getting pretty crazy. And he passed out and woke up in a tub of ice. He looked down and saw in his stomach a big cut that had been sewn up right on his stomach. There was a note on his cell phone by the tub that said, call 911 now if you want to live. They had stolen his kidney. He's lucky to be alive. Hi, I'm Sam. Hey, I'm Jake. And we're here to entertain you with the It's Just a Story podcast. Since this is our first episode, we wanted to take a moment to kind of discuss with our audience, or anyone who's lucky enough to have found us, what we are and what we're not about. 
Our mission is to take a deeper look at the stories that we tell over and over again, to find out if there's any truth to them, and discuss what our myths and our misdeeds, our facts and fears say about us as people. And on this episode, we're discussing one of our personal favorite stories. The Kidney Heist. Dun dun dun. So this is a fun one. This is one that I think we've all grown up hearing about. person has some sort of night of debauchery, wakes up in a bathtub of ice with usually some big scar, bloody, or something along those lines. And but stitched up. Stitched up. So some doctor had to be there. And or a Boy Scout who's a medic first aid provider. That's true. That's very true. Someone with great sewing skills. And a note saying, call 911 if you want to live. Usually it's if you want to live, sometimes it's just now, and I guess it's implied, but for the most part, they're very specific about, you know, living, being contingent upon that phone call. Yes. So, we want to go into a little bit of the history of this legend. The story first appeared in 1991. In that same year, it aired on an episode of Law & Order. In its pilot season, did you even know Law & Order had a pilot season? I thought it had just been there since the beginning of time. That's because you've been watching it since the beginning of time. Probably so. Uh, I I do love Jerry O'Brock something fierce. But that episode was titled... Oh, it's so cheesy. Sonata for, an or- for a solo organ. Not an organ, like a... Uh, organ. Like, I don't think a kidney makes a noise. I don't either, actually. Sonata for a solo organ. When the telling began, uh, the story was usually set in Houston for some reason. And then it moved from there to Vegas. As you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I guess lots of kidneys happen in Vegas. And then from Vegas, it moved to New Orleans. So two cities known for nightlife and... Partying. Bad decisions. They're basically known for bad decisions. And the fact that the story came around struck me as very interesting because it came kind of out of nowhere, very public airing on Law and Order. It had a lot of sticking power. And so I began to kind of look into the history about organ donation in this country and kind of public awareness, etc., etc. And in 1992, on January 1st, the DMV in California began handing out donation forms with every application for a driver's license. So this was in the public consciousness. People were thinking about it a lot. People were discussing it. I'm sure there had to be some kind of policy debate. I'm sure that there had to be some scaremongers, you know, saying that we were all going to be slaughtered for our organs for the rich and things like that. I'm not certain. I don't have any documentation of people holding protests or anything like that, but I'm sure there were commercials. I'm sure the things like that were being discussed on TV and used as plots and stories, like Law and Order, for example. Was there a time before this where people were selling organs or stealing organs or anything like that? I mean, there have always been cadaver thefts. There was no formal legislation in the United States explicitly outlawing the sale of organs or the uh, financial gain of people donating organs until 1984. And in India, it was 1994, so... So there was a history of this going on in India where they had to pass some sort of laws. Oh, India is much more morally gray on the cell of organs, especially 
profit from donation, which is a kind of different animal than what we're talking about. We're not saying that in India it is common practice for people to be flagged down and pulled into a dark room and cut up. That's not, as far as I know, not true. I don't think that's an everyday occurrence at all. There were definitely a lot of cases of people profiting from the donation of organs being gifted, sums of money or travel or... So how did the, did the story change over time, develop... Well, in 1995, the bathtub with ice was added. Why was it added in 1995? You know, I'm not certain, but I wonder if the legal ban of organ sales and that kind of discussion, the Indian organ market, had anything to do with it. I don't know. One has to wonder if... And so, did the story change at all? I mean, we talked about it moving from Houston to Vegas to New Orleans. I mean, how did this spread through time? I'm not certain how the move from Houston to Vegas happened. Other than the fact that Vegas is just a little more interesting than Houston, and maybe a little bit more recognizable as the story became more national, maybe people... I don't know, they're not easily confused. I'm not certain how that move happened. But in 1997, the New Orleans Police Department received more than 100 calls from people who would be visiting the city for Mardi Gras, who'd heard rumors that there was a gang planning to drug tourists and harvest their organs during the Mardi Gras that year. Were these voodoo practitioners? I don't think they were voodoo practitioners. I think it was a big, scary gang. Just uh, a gang. Obviously, you know, those, the uneducated thugs that do surgery in their spare time. Of course. It wasn't a very well-founded or well-thought-out plan uh, or threat. Possibly a gang of disgruntled medical students or residents. Well, we all know those in their West Side Story style snap duels, but I can, don't know if uh, the sharks and the jets intense. of the medical school were involved. For some reason, there was a fever about it that year. This is all, this is documented that all these calls came in. So, from this, I mean, we're worried about organs being stolen, this black market, or these medical gangs are stealing kidneys. Why are people stealing kidneys? Are they extremely valuable? I mean, they're a needed commodity? Well, I kind of thought you might know more about this than I did, but I went ahead and did some digging. There's an active waiting list, 79,224 people, and the total wait list is 122,674 people. And that's just for organs in general, right? I believe so. Right. And so, I mean, just with my medical background, kidneys are one of those organs that would be, I would think, fairly easy to harvest if one were to harvest an organ in a bathroom or a bedroom. And also or a storage unit. Or a storage unit. I always feel like a storage unit would be a bold choice. Yeah, I'm watching too much this Law & Order. Law & Order, Criminal Law and CSI, you know what I do. I know. It's also something that a lot of people need, because while people need lots of organs for lots of different reasons, kidneys are needed, especially due to damage related to high blood pressure and things like complications related to diabetes. So, but are these organs being harvested illegally in this country, around the world? Around the world, about 7,000 kidneys are harvested illegally annually. That's every year. 7,000 kidneys are illegally harvested around the world every year. That's shocking. I really cannot believe that number, although I know you've looked into it and researched it. That just shocks me. From World Health Organization? The World Health Organization. 
I believe. Credible sources. Extremely cite your sources. sources. Um, I tell my four-year-old. But anyway. Always cite your sources. So we, ha- we do have documented incidences of people selling their organs. That's true. And actually, one man in Turkey came forward in the early 90s claiming that his organs were stolen. But upon further research, the authorities involved found that he had actually placed an ad advertising to whomever might be interested that he had a kidney for sale. And he, I don't know if he did not receive the sum of money that he originally intended, or if he was paid and then thought he could further profit from his donation by crying foul. I'm not certain what happened there. But this may have actually been the origin of the legend because it preceded the airing of the Law and Order episode. But that's a lot of people think that's where the story actually comes from. So possibly an origin for the story and something that did occur, although he actually did sell his organs, did have a kidney removed. He it was not stolen illegally like he claimed. Right. He wasn't like knocked down in a dark alley and he woke up in his wallet keys and kidney were missing. Now, has anyone ever been knocked down in a dark alley and had their kidney stolen? There's a widely circulated story about a man in India who claims to have had this happen. The specifics on that are a little bit murky. I couldn't find a very reliable source that, like, delved into it. It's on a lot of, like, Reddit-ish posts. But it's a very widely circulated story. Um, From what I remember, he was hired uh, to work construction and... After attending the new job for several days, was brought in and possibly drugged or something along those lines, and did wake up missing a kidney. Very similar to what happened in this story, uh, and so you know that we don't have an su- extremely credible source for that, but it's very. This might be possibly kind of happened-ish. It happened-ish. Yeah, I feel comfortable saying it happened-ish. Which I feel like is going to be a common thing. Yeah, I do too. Order your t-shirts. So are there, So we've talked about the organ trade some. Now, are there other countries where it's outlawed in the U.S., it's outlawed in India, but are there some other countries where it is allowed? Well, I don't know if allowed is the word, but it's certainly not illegal in China. Um, oh, China. Oh, China. Bastion of human rights. So there's an ad in China from a broker who advertised, Donate a kidney and buy a new iPad! Sign me up. In addition, the donor would be compensated $4,000, and it could be harvested quickly and easily in as little as 10 days. Well, I could use a new iPad, and I have two kidneys. Hot damn. I'm gonna need a pad. Don't come crying to me when you uh, your single kidney fails in 20 years, sir. Well, fine. <laughs> I guess I'll have to stop eating all these sugary snacks on my little Debbie's. Made little Debbie Christmas tree cakes for me. Sad story. So, we know that there are some countries that you can sell a kidney kind of legally. We know there have been instances where people have sold their kidneys and other organs. And we have one instance that possibly maybe happened where someone did have a kidney stolen. In India. In India. And now, are there any other instances where people have been trafficked for organs of different types? In the instances I could find where people were being used as 
unwilling donors. Can you be an unwilling donor? That's sort of an oxymoron. Definitely. Okay. Well, anyway, where people were being used as unwilling donors, they had originally been kidnapped or trafficked for other things. So human trafficking is where yes, it starts. Like a lot lots of sex workers and kids and stuff. I mean, it's really sad. Very sad. There was one story I read that really stuck with me about a six-year-old boy in China who had been kidnapped and taken for trafficking purposes, shady, shadowy trafficking purposes that we will not discuss any further. And he was found in a field crying and screaming, and he was missing his eyes. They had been taken... For cornea transplant. Cornea transplant, I guess. But I don't. Assumed. Yeah, I. They took all of them apparently. And I don't think you'd really just harvest the corneas. I don't know what you do. And so there are a few instances of escaped girls, escaped kids, and people getting out. There was one girl race. in the UK who had been trafficked, um, and from I want to say India. I'm not certain. And she was in for it and she escaped and kind of told them what the trafficking people were up to and you know it was a very interesting case that you can look into further on your own googling like human trafficking organ thief is really depressing and i i you might get some red flags from the FBI yeah and i'm worried that they're like i mean my google history for research material and reference photos and that kind of stuff for comics is already so spotted and checkered and striped and everything else that I just ish. The CIA is going to definitely be knocking on our door soon. So one of my biggest questions about this has always been why does the guy wake up? Like I don't understand why anyone would go to the trouble of keeping this person alive. It seems like a much more delicate procedure. And I think I'm going to turn that one over to you, boss. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about this. It, it's really curious. Like, the kidney, like I've talked about, is kind of, you know, it's, it's easier to remove in theory compared to other organs. You can remove a heart. You can remove lungs. You can remove corneas. You can remove a lot of different organs other than maybe skin without causing other problems to the person. You can live with one function kidney zero problem, mm-hmm. uh, as long as it stays healthy. So, you know, you have to think, someone with a medical expertise has to be involved in this, if it were to actually happen. Is he have enough morals left? Is he down his luck? Drug addict, doctor, surgical resident. Gregory House. The house kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So Gregory House in Vegas. Except a surgeon. And that he still has enough morality there to where he doesn't want to kill the person. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you will be perfectly fine, and I'll also be able to save a life, and I'll be able to pay off my loans, pay my alimony bill, pay... Um, Dog's you know, private school. Dog private school. Mm-hmm. It's very important. It's in Sweden. And still help two different people, you know, one person, keep one person alive and help another person live. Right. Is there any medical reason to keep them alive? Like, is there any, like, to take it from a live person instead of, like, sneaking in a morgue at night and taking one? Like, right. so having, so most transplants, I should say the majority of transplants are called cadaver kidneys. And they can last several years, but they're not going to last a lifetime. 
and having a live donor kidney will actually keep you alive twice as long as a cadaver donor. Uh, and now you'll still need some replacement in 10 years or so, depending on lots of factors, but twice as long. You've got, you know, your life is extended twice as long as if you had a cadaver kidney. So in theory, they might go for more on the black market. Right. Well, I mean, there's some studies out. We saw one article on Psych today that stated that you know a kidney could go for up to twenty thousand dollars. Oh no, that's not up to. That's the average. Oh, the average. Yeah. Average. Like there were some outliers in the study of like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's a lot of dog private school. It is. That could seriously pay off some credit cards and blackmailing your baby stripper. Yeah, because everything bad happens in Vegas, right? Or New Orleans. Or New Orleans. I also wanted to ask you, like, how many people do you think would have to be present to get a kidney out of someone? This is completely hypothetical, but you'd have to have someone there with some sort of surgical expertise, you know. Most likely a physician. I guess in theory, like, maybe a veterinarian could do it. Someone with some kind of surgical knowledge. Surgical resident. I don't think like a med student can do that unless he was extremely, extremely precocious. But really, in medical school, all you're doing is suturing and stapling uh, and holding things. Lots so, of holding things. Lots of holding things. You paid so much money to hold things. <laughs> <laughs> and so, with this, you would need someone with surgical expertise, someone that could help with anesthesia. Now, this would not need to be someone like another physician you could have a nurse anesthetist, or if the surgeon kind of had enough knowledge about it, could train some a nurse along some along those lines to what do about like dentist specific things. things. A dentist dentists actually have more anesthesia training in dental school than you would have in medical school. So like a surgical resident and a dental student who are down on their luck get together and go to Vegas. Exactly. Make some bad decisions. Make some bad decisions. <laughs> Rent a... Tiger. Sto- tiger <laughs> storage container. And then you probably need uh, some, maybe one, another assistant. So in theory, three people. At minimum. And if they're not involved in the ruse, say that these two women are not surgeons. But one of the women could be the nurse or the assistant. Or the surgeon. Or the surgeon. Yeah. You said if they weren't. <laughs> Well, I said if the medical team... Not trying to be all sexist here. Oh, come on. All of my surgeon, female surgeon friends, don't text me. The point I was making is if the two women are not involved in the ruse, or the one woman is not involved in the ruse, you could get by with, like, four people. Or if they are, you know, cut that down by one or two, and you've got yourself a storage unit operating room. Trio. Trio. Yeah. I mean, it's completely hypothetical, but possible. Definitely possible. Stranger things have happened. So there are a few cases where there have been some legal action against doctors in these instances, too. So in the UK, three doctors were charged with misdemeanor for participating in a black market trade. Now, this was willing participants, but still black market trade of organs. It was brokering. Brokering. It was like finding people were willing to sell organs and matching them with people who were on a wait list and brokering a financial transaction between the two individuals. And just this year, there was a guilty plea in the United States of another brokered arrangement between a U.S. citizen and an Israeli 
uh, Fort Organs. It wasn't actually between the, the citizens were not... Charges were not brought against the right, citizens. Against, they were brought right. against the broker right. who made arrangements. And it seems like his lab was very above board, very involved with medical professionals. Uh, his last name is Rosenberg. They would do tests. They would have people sign up to be donors. They would test. They would. He was in charge of getting the samples back and forth between the two countries, making sure that they were transported without being contamination and things like that to make sure that people match, which is another component of the story I think we need to talk a little bit more about. You know, was there harm in what he was doing? Was there anything negative he was trying? So I guess we can get into that, you know. I think most people with humanitarian instincts say if someone's dying and you can save their life, you should. Well, that's a willing donor. But when you start trading goods and services, money, etc., for that altruism, it gets a little bit more murky. And the the reason that the government is so against it, the reason that's been cited in legislation, is they don't want it to become a class system. They don't want it to they don't want only wealthy people who are on dialysis to get the kidney they need. They want everyone to have access. They want it to be a fair process and they want it to be about need, not about wealth. And that makes sense. At the same time, if you have the money and this can save your life, do you really care if it's illegal? There's a lot of thought has gone into this. You know, it's not just from a legal standpoint. A lot of morality is going to this. You taught this in medical school, the morals of this. Um, there's also even the person that developed the algorithm to match kidneys, uh, kidney donors with, um, with people that need them even won the Nobel Prize for developing this algorithm. So a lot of thought and a lot of resources have gone into doing this in a kind of appropriate way. Right, so to throw the system off just because you have the wealth to do so, or maybe you kickstart your Indian kidney, I don't know what you do. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. Organ Kickstarter. Yay! Trademark pending. You're so going to make money from <laughs> see, our morals just go whoop, right out the window. Exactly. Uh, why you don't do that? Do you see how quickly that happened? That's why you don't do it. Look, uh, I have a lot of student debt to pay off. Okay? I know you do. I'm well aware. Oh, the birch box I would have. Organ birch box. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so. Every month you receive five free samples. Oh, good. The question still remains, and it's what, what we always want to talk about on this podcast is. Why are we telling this story? Why is it stuck around? I think there are probably a lot of components that go into this. I think it's interesting that it is a man that this happens to. Because a lot of times you have that damsel in distress in a lot of urban legends and stories that pass around. And, you know, this guy with is completely vulnerable and taken advantage of. I do think that's interesting. And I think that's one reason that it is so pervasive. Because... The healthier you are, in theory, the more likely you are to have this happen to you. You know, like, if you look like you're dying, nobody's going to want your kidney. But if you're a young, healthy man, oh, you are a prime target. I do think that it is, as folk tales and urban legends so often are, a morality play. Because it takes place in those cities that are known for their secrets and their wild nightlife and bad decisions. Again, back to the bad decisions. And there's always a femme fatale, the temptress. 
the siren, the man that doesn't tie himself to the mast gets taken into the sea. That kind of thing. That's a very old motif, and we're seeing it again in the story. In lots of stories. Mm-hmm. And this is also another motif that's been taken into horror films where the couple are about to have sex and get dirty for the first time. That's when the killer breaks into the room or the cabin or the tent or the car and they die for breaking that moral code. Right. The moral code is all important. It's funny to me that you bring that up because one of the best loved folk tales, fairy tales... Of all time, Beauty and the Beast is actually a chastity tale. It's a tale about a woman being afraid to confront her sexuality and seeing the man as a beast and, you know... Thinly veiled. Thinly veiled metaphors. I mean, they weren't into subtlety back in the day. Is that French, right? French. Of course, because it takes place in France in the Disney movie. Of course, yeah. You can reliably cite where the origin of each fairy tale is based solely upon the... No, you can't. Okay? No, you can't. Don't do that. Um, so there were no singing teapots in this. There were no singing teapots. But interestingly... In moral story. Interestingly, they do tell of enchanted candlesticks and things like that. So, so that's uh, in, like, enchanted... Like, the walls move and things like the castle has a curse on it and it comes to life. Oh, that's interesting. So, Disney wasn't that far. Uh, yeah, a little far. Hey, you know what? Funny connective thread. Guess who voiced Lumiere? Jerry O'Brock. Oh my god, synchronicity's awesome. Okay, so basically Jerry O'Brock is the reason that this story is still being told. Right? I think Jerry O'Brock's the reason for lots of amazing <laughs> things, although rest in peace. R.I.P.? Yeah. No, Jerry O'Brock's not the reason the story is still being told. I think that there's an innate fear in people about having something so valuable inside of them. I think that people, it scares people to think that what keeps them alive could be commodified. Does it make sense? Definitely. Because it's like, why would anyone ever hurt you? Well, here's a really good reason. A reason that's more than money, more than fame or power. It's literally, would be saving their life. Absolutely. So should we be worried about this? Well, we're probably not going to wake up in Vegas in a ton of ice. There are no documented cases of that happening. Wait, I saw the hangover. There was like a tiger. There was a tiger. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. A tiger. That might happen. Okay. Your chances of waking up with a tiger and Mike Tyson in your room in Vegas are much higher than waking up in a bathtub full of ice. So you won't wake up in a tub of ice in Vegas... But if you're a six-year-old boy in China, you might wake up in a field without your eyes. But it's just a story. Yeah, it's just a story.